to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster planning, business continuity, crisis management, emergency management, and as it, the world stands right now, pandemic planning and COVID-19. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone, if there are topics you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free, send me an email. You can go to the Voice America page for the show there is a button that says something to the effect of send, uh, they host an email. I do get all emails, and I do respond to everything I get. Also, if you want to advertise a product or service, please feel free to reach out the same way. If you had a topic, the same button, same email, and I'll respond and uh, get back to you on that as well. like to remind everyone I will be presenting, fingers crossed, at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, October 7th and 8th. And I'm also going to be at the BCI World Conference in Birmingham, uh, United Kingdom, uh, November 5th and 6th. I'm presenting a topic there as well. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road with their product, BoastAssessment.com, where you can self-evaluate your programs and help focus your resources uh, where you need to uh, build up bits and pieces of your program and track your uh, following. Many of you uh, know that, uh, or my guest today anyway, many of you will know my guest. Uh, She's been on the show a couple of times, and I'm just going to jump straight into it because it's her sixth appearance on the show, believe it or not, today. Um, So without any further introduction, I know everyone is going to know Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome to the show. Alex, as always, it's great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, Well, uh, actually, speaking of which, I want everyone to know, uh, Regina and I, we're going to touch base on uh, COVID-19 pandemic planning. Um, I think we said uh, probably for the next few months, at least uh, one episode a month to bring everybody up to speed, if, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, that's about right. I think that probably gives us a good opportunity to chat, talk about where people are, where we're going, and maybe look at opportunities for lessons learned and process improvements, Mm -hmm. because we'll be doing this for 18 months plus, so we have plenty of time to get it right. Yep. So, um, so welcome, uh, Regina. You will officially be my uh, most, uh, um, what do you call it, frequent guest. Um, Actually, if... (laughs) Actually, you're a guest like the first or second time. What do I call you when you're going to be around here like 10 times? <laughs> call me a friend. Well, How about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I, think, good. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's going to be familiar by now, um, you know, with your, your uh, work history and, you know, your qualifications, which obviously you are qualified um, greatly. Um, so why don't we just jump straight into what we're going to talk about today um, related That's to pandemic plan, planning but- and COVID-19, and we'll skip all that bio stuff um, this time. Um, 
we we were going to talk about the phases of pandemic planning. Now you, I know you've done some writing and some speaking on that. Can you kind of tell us what the what phases you uh, um, talk about when it comes to COVID nineteen and pandemic pl- planning? Sure, sure, sure. I will. Um, so um, uh, originally, when you looked at pandemic planning, there were always essentially five phases to it, and, and kind of the usual phases that we would have in the area of emergency response. So, you know, a, a activating your response, going into recovery, and then a sustained, uh, sustained recovery period. Uh, and then the only difference between that and a pandemic is there's always investigation, which is at the beginning. But if you stop and look at those phases, frankly, it's not really helpful for somebody right now understanding where they are and where they're going. And so after a lot of thought, after about um, two months into the pandemic, uh, beyond the beginning of March, we started really seriously thinking about this on my team, and we've actually come up with what we call the seven phases of the COVID pandemic. And I'd like to just tick through them because it actually helps people understand where we were, where we are right now, and where we're going. And then, frankly, as we go through this pandemic, Alex, we're going to bounce back and forth between the last four phases kind of over and over over again uh, because of the nature of this illness. So going back to the very okay. beginning, the first phase of a pandemic is what's called planning, which of course we all know very well, don't we? And that should have been all the things you had in place as of December 31st, 2019. So that would be crisis management, business continuity, pandemic planning, all those things. So okay. uh, did everybody have all those things? No. Probably not, but people had whatever they had. And so when the pandemic started, that's where they were. The second phase is awareness. And depending on who you are and where you are and what your business is all about, some of my clients were actually very aware of this to by about the 5th of January. Uh, those folks in Asia, of course, and those people that had work in Asia were already starting to see this very suspicious virus that was percolating in Wuhan. Uh, other people in the United States and possibly in Canada as well became aware of this much later. In some cases, even the end of February, to be honest with you, where people really went, oh, my gosh, this mm-hmm. could be a thing. And yeah. and so that awareness was when people began to make an assessment, like, is this bigger than a bread box, and what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. The third phase is when they actually activated their teams. So I'm assuming they have, they've activated their crisis management teams, their executive teams, their business continuity plans. And so the third, um, in the third phase, you are activating and, re- and beginning to respond. Now, the next four phases are what we, we think are unique to this particular pandemic, and I'd, I'd love to chat with you about them. So the fourth phase is what we call reevaluation, of which there's two parts to that. Now, obviously, in any crisis, you're constantly reevaluating. But I will tell you, in 38 years of doing this, I have never, ever, ever seen somebody reevaluate something so much for all mm-hmm. the reasons that I'm sure we're all familiar with. So let's make up a story. Let's say you have 100 mission-critical business processes in your BIA, and you would always say to yourself, you know, man, we have to do all 100 of those things. Well, I can tell you, and many of my clients, they started looking at those 100 things, and they started saying to themselves, you know, we probably don't need to do this one or that one, or we need to modify this. And I will tell you, after continuous and deeper reassessment, many of those actual lists got, you know, were cut in half, to be honest with you, because all of a sudden, it wasn't that important, or because of business changes, or what's happening in the environment, those weren't as critical. 
So that that constantly going back and reevaluating what's important. Have you seen that within your client population at all, by chance? Actually, I have. I, I've I've seen a lot of uh, different uh, companies turn around and say, you know what? Because we don't have people here, we don't need to do this, this, and this anymore. You know, so that right. whole almost that um, BIA list, you know, that priority list that we all have, you know, yeah. we yeah. need all of these things. They're saying, well, now that we're all working at home, our priorities are different and we don't need to do all, you know, all these non-essential reporting anymore. We don't need to do all these other things. It, right. Those lists have been cut back drastically. Yeah, right. And what I find is that as the longer this goes on and as people more and more see what this really means to us for the, really for the, 18-plus months, this list is constantly being reassessed and evaluated in ways that I've just never seen. So there's mm-hmm. the this reevaluation that's on the tactical side, which is what we just talked about. But frankly, there's also a strategic reevaluation. So at the executive level in a company, I'm seeing people really uh, starting to look at things like, okay, maybe there's a merger opportunity. Maybe we should be looking at a merger, or maybe we should be acquiring businesses because of what's going on, or maybe we should be thinking about unloading some real estate or buying some real estate or, you know, there's lots of kind of business strategic issues as you're reevaluating where you are and Mm -hmm. what's happening in your business and how it fits into the world, if you will. There's this really big reevaluation that's going on at both levels. And so for my clients, that's been going on for about the last month. Well, I think that piece that you just mentioned about real estate is rather interesting because, all these big cities, you know, I, I only live down the road from Toronto, and all those big towers, expensive towers, all those people are working from yeah. home, and they have been for over a month now. Businesses are going to see, why am I yep. paying all this high rent for all these big buildings yep. when, you know, yep. I've got people working from home, and I'm still operating. Right. Right. I think, uh, and this is actually one of our, our last phases of reinvention, I think there's going to be a huge reinvention. Because yeah. I think to your point, Alex, what happened is we finally realized, because we had to, that you could actually do things, a lot of things successfully, frankly, at home. And you could do them differently than we'd ever done before. But I think historically, people would say, well, you know, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We would never do that. And now mm-hmm. when there was no choice... People did go home, and I will say to you in my clients with big call centers, they put all those people back at agent at home, right? They're all working and doing calls at home, and they yeah. discovered some very interesting statistics that their productivity is the same or better, and employee satisfaction is greater. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. That, right? We we chatted before we started uh, the show here while uh, Josh was doing our sound check, and you know, I said that I'm enjoying my time at home, and I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm working longer, but I'm enjoying it. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and mm-hmm. so is my dog, of course. But yeah. <laughs> well, and when you cut out the commute, and you know, all of those things, your life changes. And I think, I think there will be big. Reevaluations about that and reinventions. So that's the kind of fourth phase on our list. The fifth phase is what we're calling, it has kind of two parts to it, and it's where we're going to probably spend most of our time chatting today. One is what we call the cocoon phase, and that's kind of the tactical response, if you will. So if you imagine, and I don't know about your clients, but in ours, many of them, they've kind of pared it down as far as they can, and now they don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but they're sort of, imagine you're almost like in a medically induced coma, right? You're Mm -hmm. kind of just, you've pared it down and kind of keeping the animal alive, so to speak 
week, but you're not doing anything different. You're not doing anything new. Uh, we're all just sort of, you know, taking a deep breath and kind of observing and keeping everything functional, but it's kind of quiet on the home front. So that's the first part of this phase five. The second part is really the reentry planning, and I think there's probably two groups of people, one that are doing the cocoon part, which is keeping the, the business alive and going, but there should be a team that you pull out that does what we call reentry planning, which is how are you going to go back, and when are you going to go back, and all the things that we'll talk about in a bit, but that's really important on the tactical side, but frankly, on the strategic side, executives are also thinking about this very strategically, about maybe mm-hmm. we would sell off part of our business, or maybe we would get some real estate, as you just mentioned, when a lease yeah. comes up, or maybe we would do something differently based on what our experience has been. So when you look at reentry, it's not just the tactics of how you go back, but frankly, it's the whole idea of looking at the business from a big picture perspective, which is what the executives will be doing. So that's kind of where we are right now, I think, for most of my clients. Uh, phase number six is really what we call reentry, which is where you actually, okay, you wrote these plans, now you're going to do them. So at some point, you're going to be told by your government or your Ministry of Health or your Department of Public Health, okay, you can go back to work now. Well, then yeah. you're going to do that. Maybe, but maybe not, right? That's the other mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> well, and, I remember that. And then lastly, what yeah, they used ahead. to call it, um, you, you don't see it very much anymore uh, or hear about it uh, very much anymore in business continuity management training courses or anything is the going home you know, uh, piece. Yep. Is that the, the kind of thing that you're talking about there, the, the going home, going back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. it's when you go back, especially if you've been gone for – you know, weeks or months, um, you know, when you go back and who goes back and how do you do that and how do you prevent disease transmission? I mean, it's yeah. actually a very complicated process, much more than you would think about. But once you start to really peel it back, there's a lot to think about going back to work. Oh, yeah. So then, uh, it's, yeah, it's huge, actually. And then the sort of last phase that we have before we talk about reentry and go back and forth on that is is what we call reinvention. And I really believe, just as we were talking about, Alex, I think there's going to be a huge reinvention about how people work, whether it's more from home, whether it's things like call centers going home, whether it's the idea about how we actually uh, work in our daily life, how we experience people. I think it's going to be quite different. And I have been already shocked, frankly, that many of my clients are rethinking their life in a business way. Have you have you started to sense that from the people that you work with? Uh, with some people I've been talking to, yes. Yeah, I, I, they are mm-hmm. kind of reevaluating how they're going to go forward and what they're going to look like. And, you know, right. maybe drastically changing what they look like. Uh, I know some mm-hmm. stores, I know uh, I had to go get some, I hurt my back the other day. So I had to go to a drugstore and get some back pills. It's one of the few places we're allowed to go to. And I went mm-hmm. and I just kind of got chatting with someone in line. And they, they were saying that, you know, they're thinking of moving their entire operation now online because they're finding that easier to manage than having an actual physical shop. Yeah, I think it's given us permission to think really, you know, kind of the proverbial uh, uh, blow up the box, right? I mean, this is totally yeah. beyond the box. We're, the box is no longer in existence, and now we're reinventing who we are. So I think when companies really 
begin this whole process of reentry and looking at it. And simultaneously, they'll be reinventing. But then, frankly, we're going to keep going back to back and forth through this entire process. We're going to constantly be reevaluating. At some point, we may have to shut down again because maybe there's a lot of disease transmission in the Toronto area, and the ministry says, okay, back home, that could happen. And so you may end up going back home again. Uh, and so there'll be this constant reevaluation. We might end up cocooning again, then we go back, and then we reinvent ourselves some more. And then we're just going to keep doing this over and over and over again, frankly, until we have a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, a cycle until we, well, I guess it would be a cycle until we have that vaccine in place where we can get out there and I don't want to say go back to normal because as far as I'm concerned, normal is gone. You know, yeah, that's right. You know, that's right. The, the, you know, I totally agree. It is gone. It is gone. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's how I view it. I think we're going to be in this space uh, until we have a vaccine, and then when we re- fully reemerge, uh, it will be it will be very different. Uh, and but I think the thing that's actually exciting about it. Um, Alex, that we're going to be able to create that as we go along. And so we have the opportunity to create something that's better than what we have now. Uh, it will be different. There's no doubt about it. But I think we also can make it better, which is actually pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I, I was actually going to say something uh, along that lines, uh, because I, I think once this is over, in quotes, I'll say, you know, uh, over, mm-hmm. that we're those that do emerge out of this uh, are going to have different perceptions, not just on organizations, but I think on a personal level of what's important, mm-hmm. you know, overall, mm-hmm. which is going to have some uh, bigger impacts on the, the global, you know, uh, environment. And I don't just mean trees and things like that, but, you know, the global mm-hmm. business environment, the, our personal environments, our relationships, I think it's really going to make a mm-hmm. big difference. And big changes mm-hmm. are on the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. On that note, we've come to the end of our first uh, segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps in the phases of COVID-19 or pandemic planning, I should say. And we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's Outdoor Challenge this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav. From catfishing to homemade wild game jerky, women in the outdoors, spring gobblers, and tips for beginning anglers, Jim and Trav have a mixed bag of outdoor pursuits. Joining the boys is Matt Buzzbiss of For Lover Likes, Cat Daddy, High Mountain Seasoning Zone, Brian Tucker, and the feisty Mrs. Bunny. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Think of the world 50 years ago. 
Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about pandemic planning. Regina, great first segment as always. Um, I know you want to talk more about um, the reentry aspect, and I know you write about 10 10 steps of the reentry process. Can you kind of uh, start walking us through what those 10 steps are? Yeah, let's take a look at those kind of one at a time and and chat about them. So this is, again, based on what we're observing in our client population, and also when there is a profound change, there's some general strategies that are very helpful in this. But the first thing that we are encouraging our clients to do is assemble what we're calling a reentry planning team. Now, um, like who would be on this team would be the first question. And maybe it's already people, frankly, that are on your crisis management team already. Mm-hmm. But frankly, there's, I mean, people might be super busy already and there might be a lot of uh, work because of the pandemic and because people are working at home. So I'm saying it should not just be your crisis management team, although it could be members of it, but mm-hmm. it should be the key kind of lines uh, of activity that you would imagine. So I'd expect to see individuals that would be from human resources, of course, the key lines of business, things like finance and communications and facilities and security and technology and legal and, you know, kind of the core things you would expect to see in a crisis management team. But this team's right. job is not to manage the crisis as we're doing it on a day-by-day basis. This team's job is to say, okay, how do we go back to work? Or how do we modify our work? So if you're an office-based business, obviously, it's really going back because hardly anybody's in an office anymore. If you're more in manufacturing, you might be looking at where people may be still working today, or maybe they're not. How would you reshape the job or what would you do in order to make it safe? So you need some really thoughtful people in this team, people that have got mm-hmm. some broad experience of the organization, but the ones that are going to really think about these creative solutions. 
I guess that would also include, because you mentioned manufacturing, uh, I think that's a good example to bring up where you really have to start thinking about, um, if you hadn't already, supply chain management. You know, how do you get all these different yes. parts slowly to come back and who is able to even deliver you parts so that you can get started? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You would find those people in that in that in that spot. And this and this planning team, their their job is to develop the plan for the return to work. So it's really called a reentry plan. And and what what you need to do in the very first part of this planning process is we need to establish the team. It needs to have executive endorsement and ideally maybe an executive uh, leader is part of it so it's uh, connected obviously to the executive uh, and then there needs to be a probably a good project manager who's going to develop the timetable the scheduling and keep people on point because uh, depending on where you are in the world you might be reopening your offices or attempting to reopening them in the next maybe a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two depending on where you are uh, mm-hmm. But you need to be on it, right? So this is not a this is not a lazy kind of planning process. We need to have a pretty aggressive approach with the right people who can spend the time. So that's really the first thing we want people to do. I guess another piece of that too, that um, because you mentioned it earlier, having an executive um, support, I guess, would, you would also need that executive to really confirm what they think is most important that they want up and running. Because, as you mentioned yes. in the first segment, those same people are already evaluating what's you know key to them, and they've you know cut back lists in yes. half and things like that. So that executive can actually yes. say, you know, as you're coming home, this is what you've got to consider. You know, these other fifty things, forget about it. It's these five that you need to focus on first. Exactly right, and, and and there might be again changes of the strategy of the organization or some big strategic shift, and they uh-huh. would need to be informing the reentry team that there was a real a realignment of goals, if you will, or processes. So that's a really uh-huh. super important connection there. So first of all, I would say to all of your listeners, they need to get on this, and they need to get a team pulled together right away. And again, my only concern about picking the crisis, the existing crisis management team might be the fact that they're already super busy in just managing the day-to-day crisis as it is. So mm-hmm. they should be thinking about that as they go forward. The second, the second part might be something that your listeners may not have heard about before. It's something called the Plan B team. And their job is to essentially review the reentry plan. So, okay, let me explain what a, a Plan B team is. This became actually popular uh, probably in the 2000s and particularly popular in 2009 when uh, the CDC, when they were managing the H1N1 pandemic, utilized the Plan B team whose job was to basically uh, look and see what the decisions are that are being made and reflect back if, if maybe that's the best choice. Because sometimes what happens, I'm sure you've been involved in big activations where, you know, it's complicated, there's a lot going on, and after we all begin to, you know, we can't see the forest for the trees. We get kind mm-hmm. of almost confused about where we are, if you will, and we lose our ob- objectivity and we kind of fall in love with our own ideas. That happens a lot in a big crisis, especially one that's long and extend it like this. So you need somebody that's going to look at your your team's planning process and the final plan itself and say, well, you know, have you thought about this or what about that? Or maybe, you know, you need somebody else to look at it besides the team that puts it together to truly develop a good product. So they're they're kind of finding... there, I guess it would be like a, a government opposition party. You know, you have this, this great yeah. plan, and then their job is to help you really, if they're doing their job right, make it better. 
or, or, yeah, you know, or things you may have over, you know, things you may have just missed. Absolutely. That's that's their that's a big part of their job is to constantly kind of re, re, kind of reflect back to you, uh, and and the goal is to make it better. And so the people that are really good at this kind of Plan B team are people that are good critical thinkers. They cannot be involved in the origination of the plan, and they're probably not in your crisis management team either. To be honest with you, maybe it's like the leader of audit, or maybe you've got a strategic department, a strategy group in your company. But it's people that are you know. People that can see big pictures, people that are really good at kind of looking across the enterprise and making suggestions. But I will tell you that this group is really important for you to get the best product. And so I strongly encourage, and so we're talking like two or three people. We're not talking about an army. I just want somebody else besides your reentry team to look at it and to help you see possibly other ways of doing things or uh, improve the product that you already have. Mm. Kind of like a business continuity management uh, steering committee, but only just a couple of people. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, and it's again, it's 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 a it's a good investment, and many companies have never done this before. But I'll, I will tell you that reentering is a big deal, and we need to have a lot of good brains on this. And so that's what I really invite people to think about this. So that gets to our third. Uh, 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 point in the reentry planning process, and essentially that has kind of two parts to it. The first thought part is that you need your executives to opine, if you will, kind of what the economic assumptions are going forward. And we talked about this a little bit already. You know, is it going to be once the uh, pandemic, um, uh, we've been all corralled, and once we've been released, do they forecast that you know there's going to be a lot of growth and the business rebounds, or are they uh, forecasting somewhere in the middle in moderate growth or slow growth or maybe even flat? growth or negative growth. The reason mm-hmm. that's important is just as we talked about in the idea of reinventing and, and, and looking at the strategies is that if you, if, you're, if you are really struggling, then your reentry plan might look very different than if you're going to go gangbusters. And that would be good to know kind of where are we going financially. So having some sort of economic indicators as a planning inception would be really helpful. The second part of that was actually also looking at kind of frameworks, and that is the health scenarios. So there's basically three different or four different ways you can look at this. The the best position might be is that we come back from our self-imposed quarantines and we have minimal human transmission once we Mm -hmm. all go back. I don't think that's going to happen, Alex, but... That could happen in some some foreign planet, perhaps, but I don't think that's going to be our story. (laughs) (laughs) But even in minimal human transmission, you're still going to have to do things like physical distancing. So even I imagine in Canada, as in the United States, you're looking at uh, six feet plus, uh, two plus meters uh, to basically make sure that even with minimal transmission, we cannot be shoulder to shoulder anymore. No handshaking, none of that stuff. In modest yeah, that's, human that's, transmission, that's, that's, that's going to be next to impossible. Considering you see all the uh, the work, the um, what do, what do they call it? Uh, one of my clients had a a millennial setup where everybody was just in these big long desks, not cubicles. So everyone was sitting, you know, yep. just a couple of feet uh, feet apart and walking all over and standing up desks and right. things like that. That's going to be next to impossible to to have physical distancing of two meters. Yeah, unless you've got unless you've got you know a table that used to set ten and now you've only got four at it, that's about the only yeah. way you're going to be able to do that. 
right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, when I say rethinking the environment, I'm not kidding. It's rethinking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next kind of level of transmission is what we're calling modest transmission, and maybe um, we have some success with our public health measures, but you're still going to have physical distancing. You're still, at this point, also probably going to have facial coverings and probably at work where the health department will say, yes, you can go back to work, and yes, you have to have two-plus meters, and by the way, you need to have a facial covering on your face at work, in the office. That would not yeah. surprise me at all. Right? Yep. Then, I, then the next level in our mind is to what we're calling moderate human transmission, which all the things apply, physical distancing, facial coverings, and bans on large gatherings. So, and it depends on how you define large gatherings. You might remember when the pandemic first started, large gatherings was 250, and then it dropped yep. to 200, and then it dropped to 100, and then it dropped to 50. <laughs> yeah, and then it went down to then five, to and then no more than two. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, um, so I think, you know, we don't, that, so which means that, uh, you know, restaurants would have like, instead of having 20 tables, they might have four. I mean, really, I mean, that's how it's going to be potentially. And they're already talking about that in California. Um, and so that would, might be the kind of things that we would do with modern human, modern human transmission. No, no movie theaters, no public events like uh, sports, no hockey, no football, um, so those kind of things. And then the last one is severe human transmission. Uh, and that means we would probably end up where we are right now. We'd be back at home. So we, they release us, and what they find is there's lots of transmission. There has lots of illness, and that we overwhelm the healthcare system. Then in order to save the healthcare system from collapsing, they will send us back home. Mm-hmm. And so that it could easily happen more than once. Once we get cut loose. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I think the healthcare system is going to get hit a second time once that happens anyway, because I know. Yes. Oh, absolutely. You know how I how I mentioned earlier, I you know hurt my back. I should have gone to see the doctor, but I mm-hmm. didn't. You know, so if you know, I'm I'm doubt I'm the only person, but other people who may not uh, feel great or may have hurt themselves. You know, if they're suddenly allowed to set free, well, everyone's going to go out, you know, and start doing these things. Yep, yep, yep. Unless the government really restrains you, that's absolutely right. And your employer restraining you as well. So you're absolutely spot yep. on. So then the, the fourth uh, one on our list is actually, be, and we haven't even got to writing your plan yet. The fourth one is that you have to have a baseline of your current status. So the reason you need to have a really solid baseline is that if you don't know where you are, you will not know whether you all of a sudden are starting to have a problem in your area or in your company. So that means that you're going to need to have things such as a very good assessment process for understanding who is sick, is anybody sick in their family, is anybody quarantined at home, so asking questions, frankly, that you would never ask as an employer, but you're going to need to know some basic things, things like temperature taking at the office. So you're going to need to really understand what's going on with your people. These are the five things that we always talk about. What's happening with your people, so illness, quarantines, deaths, those kind of things. What's going on in your facilities, uh, which means things like can you get them fully cleaned on, on the kind of level that you want on a regular basis? Is there anything going on in your technology? 
what's happening with your business operations? And then from a reputation and brand perspective, is there any news about you and is it positive, neutral, or negative? And, so before and you Lord, start for, the Lord forbid you, you have to ask or, or find out that, you know, something even worse has happened to an employee, you know, a work colleague well, and oh find out why they're no longer in the office. If you get my right. meaning, you know, I, I'm sure yeah. that's got to be difficult when workers find out they go back to the yeah, office oh and, God. you know, Alex isn't there because Alex, you know, succumbed to mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic. Right. I actually have two of my clients who've had deaths and they were deaths of people that were in their 40s. And I will tell you, in both of these cases, it really rocked them. And of course it's going to, but when you sort of see, uh, it, it was it was really, really hard for them uh, for all the reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, you're right, they're gone. And then when you start to think about that, then you also personalize it. And it's, it was really, it's been really hard on them. So, yeah. So, but before we even start the plan, we need to all know the four things that I've mentioned up to this point. And so I always say to my clients, so how, what's your process for understanding if anybody's sick with COVID-19 symptoms? Or what about their families? Because if their family's sick, that's a problem because then you really don't want them to come to work, do you? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, right? it's, it's complicated. Yeah. So they're going to be doing lots of things that, frankly, they would have never, ever dreamt of talking about or asking about before. So those are the four things that get us up to actually writing a plan for developing I'm gonna, a plan. I'm going to, I don't usually stop people, but we're almost at the end of the second uh, segment. And I think getting into your next point is the perfect spot to start the, the final segment, if that's okay with you. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking with Regina Phelps about uh, pandemic planning and the phases of uh, pandemic planning. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's Outdoor Challenge this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav. From catfishing to homemade wild game jerky, women in the outdoors, spring gobblers, and tips for beginning anglers, Jim and Trav have a mixed bag of outdoor pursuits. Joining the boys is Matt Buzzbiss of For Lover Likes, Cat Daddy, High Mountain Seasoning Zone, Brian Tucker, and the feisty Mrs. Bunny. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps and we're talking about pandemic planning and the phases of creating a re-entry plan. Uh, Regina, I... I know I apologize for stopping you at the end of uh, the fourth uh, step there, but I know the next step, number five, is a big one. So I kind of want to dedicate this whole um, little last segment that we've got here, 14, 15 minutes, to um, the re- develop the reentry plan. Yes, let's just dive right in, and you and I can dance back and forth on this one. There's four big <laughs> principles that people need to think about. So... Um, Obviously, the trigger for you to go back is when you've been released by your government, your province, your state, your country, uh, your Department of Public Health. They're the ones that are going to, first of all, authorize you to go back to your offices, your manufacturing facilities, whatever it might be. But then, frankly, Alex, there's a second trigger that you need to decide, which is when do you, the company, want to go back? Now, many people think, well, gosh, once we've been released, aren't we going back? And I would stop and say, well, why? Now, I'm not saying that to be rhetorical or funny, but the issue is, okay, if uh, if you've surveyed your employees and and you've discovered that you're productive, you're meeting your deliverables, and in some cases perhaps you have enhanced worker satisfaction, and you do not know what is going to happen when you go back, The question I've asked every executive team is, why are you going back now? Mm -hmm. Now, if the answer is, okay, nothing's working and we're having a lot of problems, that's a totally different answer. But as you and I have said said already, many people actually would say the answer to that question, but I'm very productive, I'm getting my deliverables done, I'm much happier or whatever, and I don't know what's going to go on when I go back and stop and think about that. Do you want to go back to your office and sit around or near a lot of people who may have COVID-19? Nope. (laughs) Right. No, I don't. So, so there's a, the first trigger issue is actually very complicated. And so what I've been saying to all my executive teams is stop and think about this. This is not like, Oh my gosh, we got to go back. The question I'm asking people is, why are you going back now? Tell me, why are you going back now? That's a Mm -hmm. totally different question. 
And if people are doing their job, they are productive, stop and think about it. If you go back, and, and there's lots of issues about going back, which we'll talk about. But if you go back and you have an illness that pops up in your area, in your, in your department, in your company, then you're going to go back home. You've had a business interruption to go back to the office. Now you're going to have another business interruption to go back home. And, and for what? So that's the first question I'm asking everybody. Why are we going back? Mm-hmm. Well, when you go back to it, you know, like you just said, you know, interruption, sending everyone home, interruption, sending everyone back. And then you find out that things have exploded again. Now you've got another interruption, Mm -hmm. sending people back again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You know, I think that's a good question you ask them. Why? Right. Right. Why? And I think I think there's an assumption in business leaders that, well, of course, we're going back. Well, I'm not saying you're not going to go back. I'm just saying, why are you going back now? Because if it's working, I mean, obviously, for manufacturing or any of those other types of businesses in which you have to be on the job, I totally get that. But I'm talking about uh, office environment. So that's the first question I think every executive team and the reentry team need to explore. What am I getting out of this? Because frankly, Alex, if it was me and I was running a large company, I would rather wait to have a lot of other businesses send people back. I'd like to see what happens after, you know, a few weeks or a month. And then I would decide how I was going to employ my reentry plan rather than be the first kind of canary in the cage, so to speak. Yeah. So. That's my first question to everybody is why. Uh, and I think that's, what, that's a big chewing on point right there. So then, of course, like in any business interruption, uh, when you start to send people back, the first team that's going to go back are all the people that are about the corporate infrastructure. So that would be facility, security, technology, because their job, of course, is to make sure that everything is ready for people to come back. So that's the first group you're going to dispatch after that. But then the question is, okay, who's next, right? So this mm-hmm. goes back to Alex, our business impact question. Again, do you really want to disrupt or disturb something if it's working? And so you got to have that clarity, right? And then right. you're going to decide who goes back, who goes back. So um, that's, that's a, and we'll, we'll come back to that again, but that's, this is kind of a, there's no easy answer to this. I, I, I imagine, think about your clients, you know, think about what they'd be, if they really started to think about that, you know, what are they going to be thinking about? Who does go back, right? Who makes sense if people are working yeah. home? The people that don't work successfully at home or have issues to work at home, they would logically be a group you would bring back. But if most of them are okay, again, why would you do that? Well, that, that actually raises an interesting point, too, of who comes back just because you can move your office back you know, or open up your facility again doesn't mean all the people you want back can go back. They may still not have daycares open or schools or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would mm-hmm. add, pose another level of uh, challenges for people. It's a complicated, I mean, it's a very complicated question for being, it sounds so simple when you first say it, but it's not complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easy at all. It requires a lot of peeling back. But then we get to the fourth principle that we think that people really need to be having a very clear eye on, and that is disease monitoring. How are you going to be monitoring disease in your community, which means in your town, you know, what cases are in your town? I'm not just talking about your state or province. I'm talking about your town. 
uh, and then or your county or your, uh, your kind of jurisdiction area, and what's happening in your business. Who's sick in your business? You need to know how to monitor those things because if you don't, you won't know if you get into trouble. So I need to know from my clients how are we going to do that because I, I don't want them sending anybody back if we have no clue how that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So those are all kind of the basic conversations that the team needs to really chew on. And they're pretty, you know, they got a, a lot of pieces and parts to them, don't you think? Yeah, well, they do because you also pull in um, other aspects that you got me thinking, you know, uh, and I've mentioned on the show before, and you and I said it uh, in one of our breaks here, you know, I have two hours of transit every morning and coming home. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I may be able to come in, everything is fine, but do I want to get on the train again? You know, right. is the train the right place for me to be? <laughs> mm-hmm. You want to be on a bus? You know? Do you want to, I mean, that's all, those are all questions that your employees are going to be asking themselves. So if you say, you will come back, well, okay, how am I going to do that safely? Am I going to feel like it's a safe situation? And I think the first few weeks or months is going to be really tough, and there's a lot of people that are not going to want to go for those reasons that you just clearly articulated. Yeah. So those are all the beginning things that people have to think about. And so then if the decision is, okay, we're going back, then the question in my mind is with people is, okay, who goes next? So we know that infrastructure teams would go back first. That would be facility security and technology because they have to ready the space. But then who goes back after that? So let me describe how we've tried to frame this for people because it's, it's an easier way, I think, for us to have a conversation with the many different businesses that might be listening to this. We kind of derive, uh, divide the business units into two categories. One is the what we're calling kind of like the business support teams or the corporate, um, uh, you know, administrative support, like HR, communications, finance, legal. You know, there are all of those support departments for the actual business. And the second group making it the third group, essentially, would be the lines of business. So then the question is, what's the sequence of bringing people back? Now, many people may say, well, I'm bringing everybody back. But really? Are you going to be able to social distance everybody? Are you going to be Mm -hmm. able to have, you know, masks for everybody? You know, what's the whole strategy there? Why are you bringing them all back is the question I keep asking. And what's the kind of state I I would suggest it should be staged? Mm-hmm. So maybe there is a logical sequence of departments who work together or have some affinity for each other that you would bring them back in that kind of sequencing. Does that make sense? Yeah. How would you determine yeah. you know, who comes back, though? Would you go back to those right. key processes that were identified in the BIA or the re, uh, rejigged you know, priority list? You know, Do you have any... Mm-hmm ideas on on that well to me what my 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 uh, strategy would be is i would look first of all at the departments that don't can't or for whatever reason are there are issues in them successfully working from home mm-hmm. so after we've been working at home for you know six weeks or eight weeks or longer by the time we get sent back i think what's going to happen is a lot of people would have worked through all of those issues at the beginning they had that made it difficult but Having said that, there might be departments that really do need to be back there uh, because they need to collaborate and they can't do it virtually, although they're going to have to do it six feet or two meters apart um, when they get back to an office. But I think there's a sequencing that maybe what you do is you look at your BIA, you look at the top um, 
mission-critical business processes. And what you're going to be saying to yourself is, okay, based on these processes, which departments are all kind of connected or those business processes need to be, and they need to be linked up, if you will. So I think that's probably part of the decision-making as they decide who goes next. Now, there's also another thing I, I would like to share with you, and I'm, I'm sensitive to our time, and I don't want to get in the middle of a big story. So I, I think maybe this might be the last thing we might have time to talk about. Yeah, we got four minutes. And that left. is in the area. Yeah, and that, and so what I want to talk about is the idea of who goes back. So let's let's make up a story. Uh, and, uh, let's say you've got a department of finance individuals, and there's 20 people, and you say, okay, great, we're going to send finance back. Now stop and think about that. Do you want to send the entire department back at once? Mm, I hope the answer is no, because what if they all get sick? Mm-hmm. So many of our clients, we've encouraged them to actually do kind of like almost like a sequestration plan that you see in utilities where you divide people into two teams. You have an A and a B. So let me give you what that would look like. Team A, they go to work for two weeks back-to-back. Team A's in week number one, week number two. They only work four days, 10 hours a day. Why that? Because the virus lives for three days on steel, plastic surfaces. So even though you might be doing extensive cleaning more than you normally do in the old days, you may not clean everything. Maybe they didn't clean all the doorknobs that night. That gives you three days for the virus to actually die. So then they come back for week two, Team A does. They work four days, 10 hours a day. And then you look at your employee population, you look at your illness and say, okay, looks okay. Great. Okay, Team A, go back home. Team B, we want you to come for the first week, four days. Second week, four days. Okay, what's our illness? Maybe all of a sudden now you have a spike in illness. Okay, now we have to reevaluate, which also means for the triggers, Alex, you have to decide how much illness you're willing to tolerate. Is it one person, two people, 2%, 3% of your population? Those are all Mm -hmm. things that needs to be in your plan. We need to know what the trigger is to go, oh, my gosh. We're going home. Yep. So the idea of doing that kind of phased-in approach where you actually alternate teams, changing their work schedules to allow for the virus to die over a three-day period, gives you the opportunity to put your toe in the water, not expose everybody, and to be able to social distance, facial coverings, assess illness, and have some cohesive strategy. That's what I think people need to be looking about when they decide they're going to go back. It's huge. <laughs> huge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know any other well, way of saying it. it. Would you, <laughs> yeah. Well, think about it. Would you just say to everybody, okay, can you all come? You all come back. Well, think about that. Yeah. That would be incredibly crazy. Because if you send everybody home, I mean, you send everybody back to work, what if whole bunches of them get sick? Then what are you going to yeah. do? Yeah, then you could be in a worse spot than you were before. That's right. So that's why I think the reentry planning is so important. And the 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 less uh, informed individual is just going to bring everybody back and suffer whatever consequences they may. I'm asking my clients to think deep and think bigger about this because it's an extremely important decision, not only for the company but frankly for the health of all of their workers. And I think that's the perfect spot to, to end part one of our discussion. We, <laughs> during our, our second break, uh, Regina and I uh, decided we were going to continue this talk 
on another show. We're going to take off um, from where we left here. Um, so, Regina, thank you once again for sharing your insight. I really appreciate it, and I enjoy having you back. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Alex. It's so much fun talking about this stuff with you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I enjoy it, too. But who who would think that people enjoy talking about disasters, you know, and crises? Yeah, I know. <laughs> right, we're crazy. But, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I hope everyone that's listening uh, joins us in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think it'll be another three or four weeks, but we will have part two of this show to air. So uh, please join us and we'll continue on uh, talking with Regina Phelps about uh, pandemic planning and the uh, phases uh, or the steps to uh, create a reentry plan. Uh, so thank you, Regina, once again, and everybody who's listening. In the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.